I want to welcome you. Um, We are starting a new sermon series this week about prayer, and it's called Power in Prayer. Now, prayer is one of these things that, that if we're not careful, if we're not really careful, it can lose its, its amazing power in our lives. It can lose its power in our lives because of um, a kind of a, a, a word that we don't always think of as a negative one, familiarity. Familiarity can be a really dangerous thing. I remember uh, Marvin Pyron, um, uh, who is uh, on staff here, uh, he's a retired pastor, but he, he does a lot of pastoral care in this community. And he told me when I first started working in a church, he said, hey, Tim, be careful because working in a church is one of the most dangerous things you can do for your spiritual life. That seems kind of strange, right? He said, and I said, okay, explain. And he said, you can get really too familiar with God sometimes. You can get so familiar with the idea and the concepts of God that it loses its power in your life because you're not really gazing upon God with the same power that, that, that when we first encounter God, when we first give our lives over to God, that it, it transformational relationship just kind of turns into something where we say, yeah, I pray, and we might pray and go through the motions of prayer, but we forget the fact, think about this, that you have access to your Father God who is the creator and the maintainer of all things around us. That's a big deal. Turn to somebody and say, that's a big deal. You guys don't sound like that's a big deal. It's a pretty big deal that you have access to God in that way. I heard uh, one pastor um, t- say, talk, talk about it this way. He was speaking to a group of, of um, theologians and academics, and they were a Presbyterian group of theologians and academics. I don't know if you know this, Presbyterians are not known for being the most expressive in worship. So he's trying, to, he's trying to get them excited about the fact that they have access to God all the time. Father God, they can talk to him anytime and just share their heart, share, share in that, that love relationship in prayer. And, and he, was, he kept on preaching and preaching and preaching, and he was just glazed over eyes. Nobody was getting it. And he said, just by chance, at the back of the room, his, his, um, his four-year-old daughter breaks through the back of the sanctuary and runs up to the front and At first, he was thinking, oh, my goodness, where's my wife? She's supposed to be watching our daughter right now. But instead, he he lets her run up, and she's like, daddy, daddy, daddy. And he just picks her up in his arms and just twirls around and just lays about ten kisses on her face. And he turns to everybody and says, my child always has access to her father. And it's a really powerful thing to try to remember that we always have access to our Father. And if we just get real familiar with that idea, with that concept doesn't hit us hard, we've got to reignite. We've got to remind ourselves that we have access to a God that loves us so deeply, so, so immensely. And that's a big deal, right? Can you say it a little bit louder that time? That's a big deal. Okay. So we're going to take a look at a piece of scripture that I think is one of the best scriptural prayers that we can look at as far as trying to understand patterns of, patterns of prayer. And it comes from Exodus 33. Exodus 33. And I'm going to read, well, I'm going to give you a little context before. I'm going to give you a little bit of context before we get into the scripture. Because um, this is a, the prayer of Moses. Do you remember who Moses is? Yeah, the guy who, you know, parted the waters, 
It was actually God that parted the waters. But anyway, Moses is the guy at the center of the story of the Hebrew people being rescued by God out of slavery. Now, if you remember the story, the Hebrew people were, for several hundred years, slaves in Egypt. And they cried out, and they cried out for generation and generation for God to rescue them. And he does, but he does it in a real unique way. He finds a guy who's not a great public speaker. He finds a guy who fumbles over his word and says, you're going to be my PR guy. God does some crazy stuff sometimes, doesn't he? You're going to be my PR guy. You're going to go out there and you're going to um, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Now think about the fact that God could have just come down in a cloud of fire. That would have been impressive, right? And said to Pharaoh, let my people go. What do you think Pharaoh would have said to that? Whatever, God. But he sends this guy who's stuttering all over himself to say, uh, let my people go. You ever felt like that in your life, that, that for you to try to be part of God's big plan doesn't make sense because how could God use me? Well, that's how Moses was, but God uses him in a huge way, and, and God, God has all these miracles that come and, and plagues that come that actually are visited upon Pharaoh's people. When Pharaoh refuses to let the people go, there's plagues. The river was turned to blood, and oh, this is all my favorite one, is frogs. There's frogs everywhere, everywhere you step. Can you imagine that? Everywhere you step, um, we we were at a uh, staff retreat this week, and the the house we were in had a lot of crickets, didn't it? Sean Sean got really scared. He would he got up on the bed and wouldn't wouldn't get down because there were crickets everywhere. But can you imagine that that it would just that you would just have frogs everywhere? I would rather have a bloody river than frogs. But so they, they, all these plagues and these crops are, 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 are basically destroyed. And finally, Pharaoh lets them go. And the, the Israelite people are leaving. And then Pharaoh decides he changes his mind. He goes after them. And they find themselves trapped at the Red Sea. And do you remember what happens? Anybody remember? You can shout it out. What happens when they're trapped and Pharaoh is in pursuit? He parts the Red Sea. I found a really funny little comic can we show that little uh, cartoon? Stop that, Moses, and take your bath. So we see Moses parting the Red Sea. Now, if something like that happened in your life, if you saw something so immense, something so huge, wouldn't that change your life forever? Do you think you'd ever doubt God again? Do you? No, right? That would be, trans- it would be you'd, you'd always say, no, God, I know that you've got me because look at what you've done. But guess what happens? They get out of that, that, they get out of that pickle, and then they keep moving on, and Moses, uh, God calls Moses up to the mountain, uh, Mount Sinai, and he's going to give Moses the, four, the Ten Commandments. And he's up there for 40 days, which tells me he's not really fast at writing stuff down. But so... Moses is up there for 40 days, and guess what? The people lose their faith in that time. See what they just saw? See all the miracles that they just saw, and they are ready to throw out their faith. And they say, okay, I guess Moses is gone. I guess God has abandoned us, so let's create a golden calf. What kind of craziness is that? But don't you think that that happens in your life and my life too? is that God comes through, God comes through, God does something, a mighty work, and a miracle in our lives. And we say, this was God. Oh my goodness, that was God. I'll never doubt. And then 40 days later, building the golden calf. 
Now, maybe it's not really a golden calf in your life. Maybe it's some other idol. You're giving your heart to something else. But we all have these things that, that just 40 days after the miracle, we've moved on to some other affection in our lives. So that's a little bit of the context for where we find ourselves in this scripture. Um, in this scripture, God has basically given a verbal spanking to the Hebrew people. He says this. He basically says, I want you to go into the promised land. I'm going to, let, I'm going to give you victory all over all of your enemies, but guess what? I'm not going with you. I'm not going with you because you are a stiff-necked people. That's a great insult, isn't it? You should try that sometime on somebody. You're a stiff-necked person. So he says that, that, that you are people who have abandoned my, my laws, and, and you are a stiff-necked people, so I'm not going to enter the land with you. And so that, that's where we find ourselves in Exodus 33, verse 12. It says this. This is the prayer. And, and by the way, while Moses, Moses goes into the meet, tent of meeting, and that's where they all, that's where Moses encounters God. That is the place of worship. That's where he encounters God. At the same time, earlier in the chapter, we see that every family, every Hebrew family is in their own tent crying out to God. They're all praying. They're all interceding. And this is where Moses says, says to the Lord, look, You've been telling me, lead these people forward, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. Yet you've assured me. I know you by name, and I think highly of you. But now, if you do think highly of me, show me your ways. Show me your ways. Can everybody say, show me your ways? So that I may know you remember, uh, so that I may know you, and so that you may really approve of me. Remember that this nation is your people. And here's what the Lord says. The Lord replied, I will go myself and I'll help you. So there's a lot to unpack here, but I want to look at a couple things. First thing in verse 12, how Moses approaches God. He approaches God with a reminder. He approaches God by reminding God of the promises of the past. Did you know that you could pray the promises of God over your lives? That you could pray the promises of God over your children's lives, over your spouse's lives, over your friends' lives. That the promises that we get in Scripture, uh, we can actually appropriate these things for our own lives. We can pray into them any day. And, and I'm going to give you a quick example. of what, what does that look like to pray a promise of God? Well, here's one of my favorite promises in Scripture, and you might be familiar. Jeremiah 29, 11, it says this, I know the plans I have in mind for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for peace, not disaster, to give you a future filled with hope. That is a promise that God has for his people. And if you are one of his followers, this is a promise that God has for you. And here's how you could pray that. You could pray it like this. Lord, I know that you have plans in mind for me. Even though right now, God, I might not be able to see them. Lord, I know that you've declared that you have plans for peace over my life. So in the places where there is not peace, I know that you will bring about peace. That there is disasters in my life right now, but Lord God, that is not your plan. And you will bring me out of this. That you will give me a hope and a future. You will give me a hope and a future. And it's us praying the promises of God because the promises of God are sure. Now, when I say this, does God really need to be reminded of his promises? Do you think that God has a bad memory? You can answer that. No, I, I don't think that's really true. So why should I pray promises instead of just, I could read them, I could get the gist and kind of remind myself. But here's the thing. 
prayer is really a place of transformation. And this is, this is a key thing. Prayer is a place for transformation. Prayer is a conversation between you and the God of the universe. And no one comes into contact with the true God of the universe and isn't changed. You can't come into contact with God in prayer and not be changed. So we pray the promises of God so that we can be transformed by the promises. So we can be transformed by the promises. There's a really great quote by uh, Pastor Bill Johnson of Bethel Church, and he says this. If you leave a prayer time the same way you went in, you didn't go in to be transformed. You went in to complain. Isn't that a good word? If you leave a a prayer time the same way you went in, you didn't go in to be transformed. You went in, in to complain. See, we think the prayer is us praying and God changing our circumstances. That's how a lot of us view prayer. But it's often God shaping us in prayer. It's often God shaping us in prayer, and um, it's often about God making us a person in prayer that can handle any circumstance. Let me ask you a question. Do you think it would be better for God to move a mountain out of your way or maybe for God to transform you into the kind of person that can face the next mountain even stronger? Do you think it's more important that God just changes your circumstances or makes you the kind of person that can, shape, that can take any circumstance? See, that's a different way of looking at it. Now, verses 13 and 14, Moses asked God, show me your ways. And Moses is asking, asking to be transformed by the knowledge of God. He says to God, I, know, uh, I want to know your ways so I can live better, so I can live differently. And here's perhaps the most controversial part of this passage. The Lord replied, I, I, I'll go myself and I'll help you. Here's, here's the strange thing about that. And here's a question that I have for you, and I really do want your answer. Did Moses change God's mind? Because God first said, I'm not going to go with you. Then Moses said a prayer, and now God says, I'll go with you. Did Moses change God's mind? Some, some people say yes, some people say no. Well, here's one thing that's a little tough. is there, There's one truth about God is that God is, I'm going to give a drop a theological bomb. Um, uh, so immutable. This word immutable, that means unchangeable. God is unchangeable. That is one of the foundation beliefs of, of, of Christianity. And here's why that's foundational. If God can be changed, then are his promises true? If God can be changed, can we stand on his promises? If we can just change his mind anytime, then his promises aren't that true, are they? Because he might just change his mind about that promise, you know, in light of a good argument. Now, I I think what happens here is a little bit different than that. What I see here is that God told the Hebrew people, I will not go with them, and then something changed on the heart of God, on the heart of the people. It says that they began to pray. It says when they got, when God said, I'm not going with you, they said, oh my goodness, we've got to get on our faces before God. That prayed in their, every, every family prayed in their own tents, and then Moses personally went and prayed with God. See, what I think is happening is that the fear of God provoked in these people a change, a transformation. We're talking about that's what happens in prayer, is that God does something to transform our hearts. And so when they, were in, when they thought, I might be without the presence of God, they got down on their faces, and guess what happened? God didn't change the circumstance. God didn't change his mind, but he changed their minds. Does that make sense? God went, God invited them into a place of surrender. 
And you know, this is something God invites all of us into, is a place of personal surrender. Not because we're changing God's mind, but because God knows that if we come into his presence, he won't leave us unchanged. He won't leave us unchanged. Now, we've, we've got three more weeks we're going to be talking about this. We're going to be talking about encountering God's presence. We're going to be talking about encountering God's glory. And I want to build in some time to actually spend in prayer together as a community. Um, we are going to have on our website uh, this, this week, you can go on and there will be sermon notes for this sermon where you'll actually be able to get prayer promises of God that you can pray through with your family. So it'll have five promises of God that you can use to practice this, to actually practice. God, transform me. Transform me to a person who, who you can change, who you can change so that I can change this world. Because God is in the business of changing people and transforming people. Now, we're going to encounter a couple of young people from our community whom God has transformed, who have encountered God and said, I want to give my life completely over to Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to invite Pastor Terry and Pastor Sean up, and, and we're going to have uh, a celebration of confirmation. Invite the, the Myers and the Yins up, Scarlett and Josh. You guys can join us on the stage, and the families kind of just surround them. However um, you think best, you guys can come on up here. And so we're just going to pray through some stuff together, and we're going to confirm these two. These two have already been through the confirmation process, and now they are ready to say yes to God and yes to his church in a public setting. Come on up here, Josh. Um, we need people to see your beautiful face. Scarlett and Josh have experienced Jesus through the confirmation process. They have uh, been taught in the ways of Christ and the ways of his church, and they are now ready to make their faith their own and proclaim their faith in Jesus before God and the church. And so I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Terry, who's going to ask you guys to say some vows, okay? So you're going to be answering the questions for yourself today, the same questions that the Conways um, gave an example of how they answered the question for their children, and you're going to be answering it for yourself. So do you, on behalf of the church, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? If so, say, I do. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? If so, I do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? If so, I do. Okay. Scarlett, we're going to invite you first. Family, you can come around. Scarlet, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Scarlet, the Lord defend you with his heavenly grace and by his spirit confirm you in the faith and fellowship of all true disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen. Josh and family, you can come, come on over. surround him. Josh, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Josh, the Lord defend you 
with his heavenly grace, and by his spirit confirm you in the faith and fellowship of all true disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you guys to come up on here, and I want you to face this congregation. As you now stand before this congregation and move into full membership of the church, there are vows we take together as we seek to live out the discipleship here at Salem. Will you be loyal to the United Methodist Church and uphold it by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? If so, say, we will. Church, we have a role to play in this as well. This is a journey that we take together. Discipleship is not something that we do on our own, but we do in community. And that means that we have a role to play. And so right now, we will just welcome them. And join me in, in the congregation of Welcome Found on the screen. It starts with through baptism. Through baptism, you were incorporated by the Holy Spirit into God's new creation and made to share in Christ's royal priesthood. Through confirmation, you have publicly claimed your faith and declare your commitment to serve Christ in the world. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. Welcome them.